I'm gonna give you a choice. You are being put on trial. You have a choice between two lawyers. One is the greatest trial lawyer of our generation. I'll let you fill in the blank who you think that is, okay? The other is a 20-something-year-old that couldn't get hired by any of the firms, so he does pro bono work just to have some practice in the field. Who are you choosing? <laughs> you want the good lawyer, right? You don't want the inferior one. You want the superior one. You're, you need brain surgery. On the one hand is the greatest neurosurgeon known to man. On the other hand is Daryl Baker. Who you choosing? <laughs> You're choosing Daryl. I watch it on YouTube. I know how to do it. <laughs> oh, no. Now, where'd I put that scalpel? Uh, <laughs> you want the superior doctor, right? You have... You have two girls that are interested in you guys. One is absolutely gorgeous. She's smart. She's beautiful. She's everything you could possibly want. The other just nags and nags and nags. Who you choosing? The one right beside me, of course. I would definitely choose my wife. Absolutely, right? Flip flop it, lady. Y'all don't have to. Y'all don't have to do that. Y'all can. We like to have things that are superior. We don't want the inferior. We don't want the bottom of the barrel. We don't want even the middle of the road mediocrity. When we want something, we want it to be the best that we can get, right? You don't want a car that put puts down the road and every now and then jerks you forward because of the, the backfire. You want, yeah, you don't want that. You don't want someone thinking you're shooting at them just driving by. You want a good car. You want a superior car. You want a superior brain surgeon doing your operation. You want a superior lawyer defending you. We want the best that we can get. This morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ having a superior ministry. This comes from Hebrews chapter 8. So read with me. Let's stand and read Hebrews chapter 8. We'll read the entire chapter, 13 verses. And we'll look for this superior ministry that Jesus has. Hebrews chapter 8. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. 
since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with it when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Pray with me. Father, show us your son's superior ministry that he may be the superior in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, and in our actions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We want the superior thing. We don't want the inferior. Now, sometimes we got to settle for the inferior because we can't afford the superior. I get that. But we always want the best that we can get, right? With Jesus, we have someone who is superior. His ministry is superior. In fact, Jesus Christ is our superior high priest. We talked last week through Hebrews 7 about him being a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek? Why does it matter that Melchizedek points his finger toward Christ and says, look that way, there's the priest? Why does that matter? It matters because the nature of Jesus Christ's high priesthood is one that is superior to any other. It's superior to Melchizedek. It's superior to Aaron. It's superior to any other priesthood. How? How do we know? Well, a couple of things. First, he holds superior authority. Jesus Christ holds the superior authority. He is not an inferior kind of priest. He's a superior priest because his authority is superior. We know this from chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So here we have Christ seated at God's mighty right hand. Now, that's not a seat that's occupied by just anybody. Think about it. Who do you trust the most? Who do you count on the most? to fight for your cause? Who do you count on the most to give you good advice? Who do you count on the most? Whose friendship do you find most valuable? It's the person at your right hand. We, we talk about the right hand man. 
Someone who's a close confidant. Someone that we can put our trust in. They're our right hand men. That comes from this idea of sitting at the right hand. And who do we find at God's right hand? Who do we find sitting next to a father while he's on the throne in heaven? Jesus Christ is who we find. Um, interestingly, you actually see this mirrored in a wedding. What side does the bride stand on? Hmm? Well, if you're looking, if you're looking this way, she's standing on that side, right? The altar symbolizes God. The bride is on the left. The groom is on the right. Does that mean the groom is more important? Better not tell her that. <laughs> Malcolm's like, yeah, definitely. The picture is Christ and his church. The groom, Christ. The bride, his church. I have a feeling that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a giant table on God's left side, and it's all of us. And then on the other side of the father, there's the groom. And we look over and we wave to our groom, or Christ, sitting at God's right hand. I guess, anyway. <laughs> Facing that direction, right? We're over here and we're looking at him. And, okay. He has a superior authority. You don't just set anybody at the right hand. You sit the one who matters most to you at the right hand, and that's where Christ sits. He has a superior authority. It's an authority that's been given to him by Christ, or by the Father, uh, given to Christ. Is that gone? Is that not working? Okay. All right. We're having computer issues, so y'all just ignore the screen. Not only does he have a superior authority, he also serves in the superior temple. The high priest had a place to serve. First it was a tabernacle, then it was Solomon's temple. Now, Christ serves in a better temple. It's not just the, the little temple here on earth. He serves in the true temple. Verse 2, a minister, so like not Christ, in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. So Christ serves in the superior temple. He has the superior authority serving in the superior temple. The real one. Not just the one that this one has been patterned after here on earth. He serves in the true one. I believe that when God shows Moses the pattern for the tabernacle, he's not just showing him blueprints. He's showing him the real thing in heaven. And he says, this needs to look like this. We'll see that in verse 5. He has the superior authority serving in the superior temple. The true temple. Not just the shadow, but the real thing. He also offers the superior sacrifice. Verses 3 through 5. For every high priest is appointed to offer sacrifices and gifts. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Every priest has to offer something. So what is Jesus going to offer? 
Well, it needs to be better than what the Aaronic priests offer. It needs to be better than a spotless lamb, a year old without blemish. It needs to be better than the goats and the bulls and the rams. It needs to be better than the turtle doves and the pigeons. Better than the wheat. Better than the oil. Better than all of the other sacrifices that those earthly priests offer. It needs to be something better. Well, we know exactly what that is, isn't it? It's himself. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that next week. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. He wouldn't even be there. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, there's already a means. There's already a way for that to happen. But verse 5, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. You see, here on earth, they're serving the shadow, and so they're offering the shadow gifts in the shadow temple, all pointing to the true temple where the true priest offers the true gift. Superior authority, superior temple, superior sacrifice. Jesus is our superior high priest. And as our superior high priest, he mediates the superior covenant. This is where I really want to park this morning. As a, as a preacher in inner city Philadelphia said, um, when I went to his church one Sunday morning, I'm going to put a quarter in the parking meter and stay here a while. Okay? You may even want to have some extra quarters just in case. I don't know if meter feeding is, is legal there. But we're, we're going to meter feed this morning. We're going, to, we're going to keep feeding the meter. And we're going to park here for just a bit. It would be one thing to say that Jesus is a better high priest, but he's still working within the same system. Let's say you're, you're in a factory and you got a machine, and the machine keeps making things that are messed up. No matter what you try to do, you try to fix the things that are going in. You get better, better raw materials going into the machine, right? You know? If, if, if let's just take a restaurant for example if I have if I have a fryer that is burning everything I put in it I'm looking at the oil maybe I need new oil maybe maybe it's because it needs to be cleaned out maybe it's because of some other problem maybe there's a sensor that's bad that needs to be replaced maybe it's a part issue maybe it's I forgot to set the timer and put kept the chicken in there for 10 minutes too long <laughs> Not that I've ever done that, but R1. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that can be causing the problems, right? But what if you fix all of that stuff? You, you set your timers right, and you keep it in there for the right amount of time, and you've got brand new oil, and, and all the parts are good, and everything's been checked out, and, and everything is supposedly right, but it keeps producing wrong product, wrong things in the end. If it keeps having those issues, well, then it's time for a new piece of equipment, isn't it? It's time to get something that will work. If you're trying to make golf balls and they come out looking like eggs, change to be an Easter egg company, right? And it's time to get, it's, it's time to get a new piece of equipment. You see, you can't just put good things into a bad system and get a good result. If the system is bad, the result will be bad. No matter how good what you put into it is. No matter how good Jesus is as a high priest, if he is still serving in the same system, the same covenant, 
you won't get a better result. Because there's something wrong with the system. We need a better system. This superior high priest needs a superior covenant. Now, this isn't something that, that uh, well, God tried it and it messed up and what am I going to do? And he had to go, he had to go troubleshoot and figure out what to do about it. No, God knew from the beginning that that system that he set in place first was designed to be a temporary band-aid that would get by until the permanent solution is worked through. Not worked out. He already had it worked out. From before the foundation of the world, he knew exactly what he was doing. But he put a system in place to get us from the time that we were then to the time that Christ is able to make his perfect sacrifice. So, so what is this superior covenant like? Well, first, it is not based on man's compliance, but on God's commitment. You see, we need a kind of system that isn't subject to us screwing it up. Because let's just be honest. We are really good at messing it up, aren't we? Right? I'm so good at messing it up, I mess up the bulletins about every other week. I messed it up this week. Anybody know what my error was? The date. I put the wrong date. What can you say? You got an imperfect pastor. It's okay. It's all right. This is, this is the perfect word of God, and we worship the perfect Savior. And your pastor can screw up every now and then because it's not based on me. Boy, if your salvation was based on me, you'd be in trouble. If my salvation was based on me, I'd be in trouble. But it's not based on me. See, this covenant isn't based on us complying with the rules and the regulations. This covenant isn't based on my ability to perform, nor yours. And that's part of our problem. Let's just be honest. Some of us have been trying to perform and perform and perform and perform. And we look like circus monkeys up on stage trying to ride a unicycle and play cymbals and harmonica and, and juggle things in the air and all kinds of other crazy stuff, trying to do all these things in this law or trying to live up to this ideal of perfection, some of which might be based on the Bible, but some of which is completely added on by men. It's not our compliance, though, that defines this new covenant, that makes this new covenant effective. This superior covenant is based on God's commitment. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much, as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. But how can we say it's better? Because it's enacted on better promises. What promises? The promises of God. You see, if this was based on us, well, we do exactly what we did with the last covenant. We'd mess it up. But it's not based on us. It's based on God. And I don't know if you've checked recently, but God's record is 100%. He doesn't mess up. Now, some of us need to be convinced of that because we look in the mirror and we think, well, God messed up once. No, he didn't. God doesn't mess up. God promises to us a better covenant. You know, the first covenant, if it had been faultless, there, there wouldn't be a need for the second one, but God finds fault with it. 
For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need, no occasion to look for a second. You wouldn't even need another one. If the first one worked, that's all that it would take. Verse 8, but he finds fault. And then he quotes from one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. He quotes from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. I'm going to establish a new kind of covenant. This is not a continuation or a part B of the old covenant. This is a brand new covenant, and it's different from the old covenant. Now, why would God make a different covenant if the first one was just fine? He wouldn't. Must mean that the first one wasn't just fine, huh? Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. You know how you take a little child by the hand and you walk them where you're going? You walk them across the street or you walk them into a store, you walk them through Walmart, or you walk them through wherever, you're taking them by the hand and you're leading them along. That's what God says he does with us. He grabs us by the hand and he leads us along. And sometimes he's got to yank us a little bit because we don't want to go that way. Sometimes we want to point and look at that thing, that shiny object on the shelf over there. Sometimes we want to go back another way because we think it'll be more fun to play over there. Sometimes we want to run ahead of God and he has to pull us back a little bit and say, we'll get there, Just be patient. That's what he did with Israel. He led them by the hand out of Egypt and he leads us out of our slavery to sin, through our wanderings, through the wilderness. He leads us by the hand to his promised land. For they did not continue in my covenant. You see where it's based on their compliance? That old covenant said they didn't continue in the covenant, so I showed no concern for them. They rejected me. They didn't comply with the first covenant. It wasn't good enough because it was based on their application of it, their performance of it, and they didn't perform. The righteous will live according to the law. They couldn't live according to the law. Some of them wanted to. Some of them desperately tried to. There's a whole group called Pharisees that so wanted to fulfill the law, they devoted themselves to structuring around them barricades and barriers to prevent them from disobeying the law. And in the process, they lost the law entirely because it became more about their traditions than about the heart of God spoken through Torah. We need a superior covenant, a covenant that is not based on our ability to do it, but based on God's promise to do it. And that's the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. This new covenant that he's making isn't based on us. It's based on him. It's not based on what we have to do. It's based on what he has already done. Second, this new covenant, it's not merely described to us. It is inscribed within us. You see, part of the problem with the old covenant was, well, nobody knew it. Nobody knew what it said. 
They had to be taught. Boys from, I don't know, seven or eight, something like that, through about 11, 12, would go through Torah school where they learned the law. They would go and they would learn. They would learn how to read Hebrew. They would learn what the law said, what it means. They would learn quotes from all the prophets and they would learn all kinds of things all related to how to live according to God's laws. They had to be taught. Women weren't allowed to go to Torah school. So the ones that knew anything about it had to be taught by a man, a father or a husband. In fact, many didn't because they thought it was disgraceful to teach a woman. This was a law that you had to be taught. You had to learn. And it took a long time. If I, I, I took a year of Hebrew, and I think I remember a couple of words and a few things here and there, but not much. You give me a Hebrew Bible to read, I'm, I might be able to point out Shalom or one of God's names, or two of God's names, Yahweh and Elohim. I can point those out. And not much else. I would have trouble even pronouncing the words, not to mention knowing what they mean. It took a lot of effort and time to learn. Parents were told to teach it to their kids. When you get up and when you lay down and when you go and when you come in and everything that you do, you're constantly teaching Torah. The Seder meal that we're going to do next week was a teaching tool. It was a way to pass on to the next generation what God had done in the life of Israel. That's how it's designed. Kids ask questions and people answer the questions throughout the meal. It had to be described, taught, detailed. God says in verse 10, quoting Jeremiah 31, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Oh, you notice that declares the Lord multiple times? That's because God's talking. The prophet has to constantly be reminded and remind his hearers that this is not what I'm saying. This is what God is saying. I will put my laws into their minds. See, the old covenant, you had to put God's law into your mind. You had to meditate. You had to memorize. You had, you had to do it. And so if you didn't do it, it didn't get done. But in this covenant, God puts his laws in our minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you see? It's not just something that, that we have to learn in a classroom or, or that we have to learn ourselves. It's something that God teaches us. I wonder how God does that through our superior high priest and the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. God says, forget this trying to teach you from the outside. I'm going in and I'm going to teach you from the inside out. I'm going to dwell within you through my Holy Spirit and I am going to shape the way that you learn my law. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to convict you when you're sinning and I'm going to lead you in the path of righteousness. I'm going to help you know things that you can't even explain why you know them, but you just do. You ever hear something and you think, that's not right, and you can't put your finger on it, but you know something's wrong with that. 
I don't know this person. I, I don't think I trust them. And you don't know why. You don't know what it is, but there's just something that just isn't right about it. That's, that's God's Spirit guiding you. When you know you ought not do that thing, it's God's Spirit guiding you. When you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I need to do this, even though it doesn't make a lick of sense, that's God's Spirit guiding you. That's exactly what He's promised to do in this new covenant. And look at there. He's fulfilling His word just like he always does. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write my laws on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. There's no need for that. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. By the way, the mercy doesn't come because they know God. They know God because he shows mercy to them. <laughs> and, and, and it's not going to be a, I know God, but you don't know God, so I'm going to have to tell you about him. They're going to experience his mercy firsthand. Do you see the beauty of that picture? This is totally different. See, before, before it was all based on us and we had to do all of the effort to try to get his law into our brains and into our hearts. And it was too much for us. Now God says, here, let me help you. Let me show you this. Come here, come here. When you go to do this, here's the way you need to go. I want you to do this thing, but I don't want you to do it immediately. Instead, I want you to go this route. When he's leading them through the wilderness, or through the, yeah, through the wilderness uh, toward the promised land, originally, before they sin, and he's got to take them on the roundabout trip, they're headed straight. They're making a beeline straight for the promised land. They'd have been in the promised land in a, in a month or two. Boy, isn't that sickening when you think 40 years, what should have taken a month? They're on the way, and it says, in, it says in there that he decides not to take them a specific way because he knows that the war is going to be hard on them and, and that they're going, to, they're going to want to turn back. So he takes care of them by sending them a slightly different route, going around a certain country, going a little bit different way guiding them exactly where they needed to go for their own good. That's God's work in us. To reveal his laws, to teach us what they mean, how to live for him, to help us to know wisdom, to have discernment. Even those small decisions that don't seem to really matter, to guide us in our ways. This is a covenant that isn't a good luck figuring it out. This is a covenant that God himself brings about. Last point. This covenant does not supplement the old covenant. It supersedes it. This covenant is not an attachment 
because the old one had some issues and so we're gonna make a software update to try to correct the bugs so that it works better. That's not what this is. This is a whole completely different way of relating with his people. But it's not all that different. It's just the fulfillment. You see that old covenant, it wasn't that it was totally wrong. It's just that it wasn't designed to be adequate. It was designed to bring us to need. It was designed to be temporary, designed to, to give us a way to understand and, and to be able to grasp the new covenant. You see, the old covenant gave us the pictures that we needed so that when Christ came, we could say, I, I know him. We brought up in Sunday school this morning, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know why John says Lamb of God? Because they understood what the Lamb was, a sacrificial offering. They understood that. And because they knew from this old covenant what that Lamb represented, when he points to Christ and says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, now they can all have, I see it. Unfortunately, they didn't all see it. Some of them had eyes to see but wouldn't see, and had ears to hear but wouldn't hear. Some of them allowed their own prejudices, their own misconceptions to guide them away from truth. And so this new covenant comes so that there's no more excuses. Jesus isn't taking the old covenant and revamping it. He's making it obsolete. Obsolete not because it wasn't good, but because it's no longer necessary. With this new covenant, we have a perfect way, a superior way to relate with God. And so the question is, are we going to live by the inferior means? Are we going to approach God according to some old covenant, some covenant that I'm going to do everything for God, and as long as I keep my end of the bargain, God will keep his? Are we going to approach God from, from this legalistic sort of covenant that says, I've got to fill out all of the check boxes and I've got to avoid all these over here? Are we going to live based on some sort of namby-pamby, Jesus loves everybody kind of a covenant where we don't actually commit to God at all? And we just expect him to save us because after all, that's what a good God are we going to keep living according to the old covenants? Are we going to keep living according to the old ways? According to the, the things that we used to think a long time ago before the truth was opened up to us? Or are we going to live in this new covenant, this superior covenant, this covenant that makes it work? Where we can actually relate with God. Are we living by an inferior covenant? Are we living by the superior one? He's our superior high priest and he mediates a superior covenant. To trust him, to quit trying to make this work on your own. Won't you stop insisting on your way and letting him have his way? His way works. It's superior. Father, I pray that we would quit settling for the inferior. We wouldn't want an inferior surgeon or an inferior lawyer or an inferior anything. Father, help us to quit settling for an inferior covenant.
one that was never designed to be permanent. One that's based on our works. One that has to be learned and learned and learned and we still don't quite get all of it. Father, help us to accept your superior covenant, to trust Christ, to experience your spirit writing the laws on our hearts. This covenant that isn't just a patch for the old, but is brand new. Help us put these new wine, this new wine into new wineskins. Help us to trust our superior high priest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.